0: Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty Podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty, with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hey, everybody. Happy post-St. Patty's Day to you. This is Brian McWilliams, the ever drunk, although I am now... After St. Paddy's Day, after the revelry taking a little break, <laughs> at least for this week. But I am. Uh, it is funny. I was a post in the Lions of Liberty Forum. Actually, it might have been the Lions of Liberty Pride, where, uh, of course, as you heard in the beginning, you guys could and should join for as little as five dollars. And uh, I keep meaning to cut a new do nothing man tag slash promo into that opener because I just dropped the last, uh, actually not the last episode, but episode two of Do Nothing Man, where he uh, faces off against the Millennial Rager, taking on the minimum wage. Uh, That just dropped last week, so a lot of people are very excited about it, and uh, God, I gotta let people know. Anyway, there was a post in either the Pride or the Forum, and it was essentially, I think, a poll that Mark started. Asking how tired I would be for this week's show, which is, of course, episode number 116, I meaning you can go to lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL 116 to get all the show notes. But it was asking how tired I would be for today's show. It's pretty tired. I am pretty tired. The options in the poll were uh, option number one, St. Patty's Day tired which is a special thing in its own. And I was definitely that yesterday because I'm recording these on a Tuesday. Monday was a rough day. Uh, Today, I am still very, very tired. But I wouldn't say more tired than a typical episode. I've had a lot of long weekends in the past month just because of the way things worked out going out of town every damn weekend. So that's more or less par for the course, ladies and gentlemen. I will say this, though. You know, when you're uh, not completely on your game, when you're a little less than fully alert, it's never those times when everything runs smoothly trying to record this podcast. Because, you know, like when when life's going well, then your computer seems to be working fine. Maybe it's karma. Maybe it's luck. Maybe it's karma. That's a little Ghostbusters for you. Uh, But I swear to God, trying to get this podcast going today First, you know, no issues with my computer all day long. And then all of a sudden, when I sit down, try to get this goddamn thing going. My computer then decides that every single program is going to have the spinning beach ball of death if you're a Mac user. Where it just stalls and nothing's happening for like 30 seconds at a time. You know, just even trying to click open a window or close a window, moving the mouse, uh, scrolling up and down on an article. Everything's taken forever to do. So I'm like, okay, I'll start to close all the programs out. Of course, every program I try to close decides that it's going to stall. So I have to restart the computer. But of course, by trying to restart the computer, I've got programs that have open windows. And you know, you can't close them out if they got to be saved first. But of course, everything's stalled. So when I try to save it, it takes forever. Moral of the story, fuck this computer. (laughs) That's, That's it. That's the moral. All right. Let's get into some shit. So first things first, you know, I got to say, here's my little theorem off the bat on this whole Christchurch shooting, which I'm going to give the background on. And the overarching theme, I guess, of the first half of this episode is that I wonder if the Christchurch shooting, despite the fact that it's not even taking place in America, that this is over in New Zealand, that the Christchurch shooting is going to be for censorship. What nine eleven was for domestic spying and the basic stomping on our civil liberties that has occurred with the Patriot Act, and now now that the Patriot Act has expired, all of the provisions that they carried over and put into a brand new bill, which I think was called the uh, you know, American Freedom Act or some sort of horseshit name that they always put on these things. So remember that. That's the overarching question and uh, and theory, and I am very very concerned that that is going to be the circumstances and, and what leads to overall censorship, uh, not only on social media, but with government censorship getting involved, police forces getting involved. Now then, let's backtrack a little bit and talk about this shooting. So last week, uh, March 14th, I think it was the actual day it happened on, there was a man who went in to two different mosques. I'm not going to say the guy's name. Uh, because I don't believe in, in giving these people more uh, stardom or attention. That is clearly what they want most of the time. But men went into two different mosques in New Zealand, started just massacring people, did not care whether they were men, women, or children, shot indiscriminately into the crowds. This was all published to, well, not all, but at least 17 minutes of the first attack were published to social media. And this was kind of an unprecedented thing that we hadn't really seen much of in the past where people had the foresight to say, oh, well, I might as well live stream this shit. But it started off a real firestorm in regards to the censorship question. And, you know, naturally, there were uh, there were all these calls on social media I saw from different pundits to say, hey, don't share this, don't watch it, don't do anything with it, which, you know, I initially do agree with. I made it a point, you know, as it was happening, I said, well, I don't want to see this. Uh, and and by virtue of tuning out, you're limiting the damage that this guy is causing in a certain way. Because obviously these people, when they do these type of things, they want attention. They want to prove a point, And they want the the fame and the legacy that lives on from the act. So if we can deny them that, then that is in fact a good thing. And we can do that by limiting the amount of exposure on the day of and limiting the – they try to um, – the fame that they would accrue from all these shares and people saying, oh my God, this is so horrible. You have to see this type of thing. However, that quickly turned from people actively saying and encouraging each other not to share the videos into, nobody can host these videos. And you saw across Facebook, across Twitter, across uh, YouTube, all the giant social media platforms took action to take down this this content now that in itself is not wrong you know, say, obviously many of these places have things in place where they say you're not allowed to show rampant violence of this nature and you're not allowed to stream that now on facebook is streaming live so hard for them to get in front of that of course but once it is live i understand them taking it down i understand why people would say yes we want that kind of thing to be taken down the problem is that it went from okay this this was uh spread on Facebook, so we're going to try to censor it in real time, to now we're going to try to clear all residual effects of this from the web. And this is where it's a little bit of a conundrum when I'm saying, you know, I don't want to see it because I want to limit the effect these people do have. However, it becomes very dangerous when you have something like this occur. And it's so politicized on both sides of the fence. But mostly, when we see types of things like this occur, it is jumped upon by the left regardless of uh, of, and knowing the facts or not most of the time. In fact, I say 99% of the time, regardless of the facts at hand, they jump on it and they immediately say, this is why we have to have gun control. We need to make all these things. We need to restrict people's access to firearms. We need to get them good. We need to get legislation in place. So they use it for their, their nefarious purposes to once again, rein in our rights and freedoms, especially in regards to the second amendment. And, you know, internationally you see the exact same things happen. So, you see these people jumping all over this narrative that, oh my God, you know, this man is, is a clear example of why we have to limit people's access to guns. And at the same time that all these people are jumping on it, spinning the narrative as they like, you have censorship coming along from all the social media platforms. And in the case of New Zealand, actual government censorship that's rolling out. And the government in New Zealand, in just a, a despicable act, in my opinion, has labeled this quote-unquote objectionable material. And they say posting it or owning, even owning this video, not even sharing it, not posting it in a public venue, which social media has become. It is a public forum. This is where we go. But if you even own this material, you can be fined something like, I don't even know, uh, $200,000 if you're a business. And if you're an individual, you can get something like 10 years in jail. And this is posted by New Zealand police departments on their websites, posted to their social medias for these police departments, saying, we will come find you if we if we find it in your possession, if we see you post it, we're going to come after you, we're going to put you in jail. And that, to me, is really where it gets very scary in regards to freedom of speech, in regards to the truth. Because when you've got the initial documents, and he had a manifesto, manifesto, not man- manifesto. He had a manifesto posted as well, which I'm going to talk about in a moment. But when you have social media censorship, and now you have governmental censorship, you're eliminating the ability to find the truth in the matter. So all you have left in the room with all of these voices screaming at once is nonsense. You have hot takes, you have opinions, and you have people throwing out these opinions and these accusations and these half-truths or non-truths that are heavily biased, that are heavily influenced by emotion. And now we live in a world where you can't find what is correct and what is incorrect. So you can't have nothing to go on but emotion. So how can you possibly weigh any logical argument? How can you weigh passing some sort of legislation based upon acts like this if we are not able to find out the uncensored facts behind the incidents themselves? And maybe the people in government can see these, these videos. I don't know. You know. Clearly, Facebook is in bed with the government. I mean, after all, they report all sorts of incidents through the FBI. They give them data based upon uh, Americans' habits. So maybe government lawmakers can still get access to these videos, but the rest of us can't. And we know that in the case of New Zealand, at least, should you even try to have some crack at the truth, well, you're going to have police come kicking in your door, drag you off to jail. Can you imagine going to jail for possessing a video that was shared on a social media platform, by the way, a public forum, was shared on a public forum, and if you had the wherewithal to save that video because you're curious to yourself what actually happened outside of the mainstream media or political spin, that that is a jail-worthy offense. I mean, that is just obscene. And I would not be surprised if that started happening here. Because once you give government the power to say this content is quote-unquote objectionable, which by the way, can there be a broader definition Of what is objectionable content? I mean, Jesus Christ. If I had had the druthers and and I could just uh, label people as objectionable, it would cover every uh, ugly person. It would cover everybody that had a a bowl haircut or a mullet in this day and age. Outside of hockey players, they're allowed to keep them. It would cover people that carry cats around in public. It would carry anybody that has a service animal that isn't blind or deaf. Although I figured you you probably wouldn't need a service animal. But I don't know. Maybe there's some sort of uh, sign languaging monkey, Coco the monkey. I don't know, but once you have the, the, this broad phrasing, which reminds me, you know, it kind of invokes again. We're talking about the Patriot Act. It invokes the language that that was surrounding the Patriot Act that was imbued in that document, which is all these kind of these amorphous phrases. You know, this enemy combatant, right? That was the phrase they loved to throw around when they were going to take away people's right to trial. And that was that they were an enemy combatant and an enemy combatant didn't have the same rights as another citizen because now this is an enemy of the United States. But the problem was enemy combatant could mean virtually anything by virtue of the government definition. And they took that to mean not only people that were, you know, maybe looking at terrorist websites, they they were just people that happened to visit. A, uh, a terrorist website, or, or maybe type that into a Google document. But, you know, they're kids. This is how they end up killing all these American citizens with drone bombings, of course. They were enemy combatants. They also use that as a right to not only murder you, but take you away and deny your right to uh, to a hearing, keep secret your location, deny you a lawyer, deny your uh, access to you, to your family, or any knowledge of where your location was found. This is the treatment they deserve for, quote-unquote, enemy combatants. And when we have government labeling information as objectionable. And that's what this is. This is information. No matter what you might call it, no matter how objectionable this content might be, it is information. You know, when we see <laughs> uh, uh, ISIS beheading people out in, in the middle of uh, Iraq, you know, or, or Iran, or wherever they might be behind now in Afghanistan, even. Well, I think there's hardly any Afghan uh, ISIS members left. When we see that, it is horrific. It is information, and it's important information to know that these things are happening in the world. I mean, we're not living on the big rock candy mountain, famously sung about, where everything's happy and joyful, and I I don't want to know, I don't want to live in a world where that is my understanding. Because then I go out in the world and I have no idea what the actual dangers are. But that's the world that our government would like us to live in, where nothing outside of our realm of, the government's going to take care of you, don't worry, the nanny state's going uh, to watch your back. That's what we're led to believe, that the government will handle all of this, and we don't need to worry about the rest of it. Unless, of course, it's being used for political purposes to restrain our rights. But that, again, all plays in this political game. The Democrats want only the military to have these guns. They don't want you to have any access to, to firearms, powder, even a pistol. And even then, I'm sure they wouldn't want you to have a, even a pistol. This is all authoritarianism. And the definition and the use of language, I mean, we were warned about this. I don't need to bring up 1984. I don't need to bring up Fahrenheit 451. But we're seeing it happen when you do these type of things, when you allow government to to categorize what is or what is not objectionable content. So now you can't find any of these videos anywhere. And you can't find the manifesto that this man wrote virtually anywhere. I tried to find it before the podcast, found it very difficult, and I just gave up. So now I'm just kind of reading people's recaps of what this manifesto had included in it, which, you know, obviously it had references to Trump. It had references to the guy even at one point said he was a communist. He was a socialist. He went through a libertarian period, which, you know, you always love to see that in there. But then again, he also covered all these different ideologies. He went from like one ideology to the other, to the other, to the other. He also talked about Candace Owens, which people, you know, it's funny. People were writing that off as, as ironic, of course, uh, because he had said something along the lines of her. Her views were too extreme and fascist, even for him. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Guy also had gone out there when actually taking part in the shooting and told people to subscribe to Pew Pew Dies uh, or Pooty, Yeah, Pew Pew, Pew Die. Fucking that, you know, that guy I'm talking about He's like a YouTuber who was uh I'm not sure if you got deplatformed completely now, if you still got a page, but it was like a video game streamer with some extreme viewpoints and got in trouble for being a little bit uh, too far outside of people's norms. But the problem is that this manifesto now, which apparently you could see as of a few days ago, has now been stripped from the internet. So once again, this is now considered quote-unquote objectionable content, and I can't find it to see for myself what the man wrote. So I have to go from secondhand accounts of all these different pundits who were able to get a copy by using various resources on their own and uh, and pour over it before it was struck from the web. Now, maybe you can still find it. I was told it was initially posted on 8chan, which is a... People are familiar with 4chan, that's still publicly accessible. 8chan is not even Googleable at this point, uh, and that hasn't been for several months, I believe, because it has uh, been kind of subcategorized where you have to specifically type it in in order to find it. But... It's basically like 4chan's even more uh, un-PC, extreme little brother. So the guy is a huge member of the 4chan, 8chan community. And he goes in there, posts this manifesto, along with many other things, by the way. Uh, he posts a lot of memes. And that's why people are saying this is like the shit post mass murder. And, you know, it's not necessarily a mischaracterization. You know, this guy... I do have to wonder if anything he said is serious. And one of the more interesting things that he had said in the manifesto was that he was a guy who wasn't even necessarily – he said he was doing the shooting, not because he hated Muslims, although he had a lot of posts talking about how he does believe that white people are under attack by Muslims coming into the countries, the mass immigrations, which not surprising that some people do think that. But he said that he didn't have anything against Muslims that stayed in their own countries, and that the reason he wanted to one or one of the reasons he wanted to uh, to shoot this mosque up was to raise awareness for gun rights in order to now this is his these are his words not mine in order to cause a civil war in America because he figures by adding to this adding on the pile to get a gun discussion going as to whether or not we should have guns and restricting people's constitutional rights to guns that he would in turn lead you know his actions would lead to the Americans deciding, okay, well, we're going to try to limit this. You'd have the Americans that are gun owners that believe in the second amendment, like uh, you and me, and probably most of the people listening to this podcast, uh, you would have essentially a civil war occur. And that's what he was rooting for. And that was his goal, which is interesting. And, you know, I, I do wonder how many of these attacks, because obviously people are inspired. This is why these things continue to happen, but they're inspired by these acts uh, online shared on social media And you wonder how many more people might take that tact in order to get what they want. Because if there's one thing we have seen is that the left does believe that the ends justify the means. And I don't even know if this guy necessarily could be categorized as a leftist, but it's not the first time that we're seeing somebody say in their manifesto that they want to raise awareness for gun violence by using a gun to murder people. Now, clearly these are not moral people. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing these actions. But, (laughs) you know, when you have quotes like this coming from this manifesto. You wonder how much of it actually is true or how much of it's just complete nonsense. If the guy is active on 4chan and 8chan and has lived his lifestyle within this subculture wherein everything you do basically is said with a smirk, done with a wink, you know this this shitpost memeing, how are we supposed to believe the clips that are being pulled out of the manifesto and fed to us as cattle out here by the mainstream media, because they can easily be just pulling out these phrases here and there in order to make their own arguments, and because we live in a censored society now where we can't find this information on our own, we're forced to believe what they're telling us. We're forced to take this this chunk and just kind of feast on that rather than seeing the entire buffet for what it was. So I wonder. As I said earlier, if this is in fact going to be the the straw that breaks the camel's back in regards to censorship, because it's the first time something like this has occurred in this manner. It's the first time we'd seen a reaction of this matter to it. And now we are full bore living the consequences of it where I don't know what really happened here. And there's no way for me to find out. And that is exactly how the government and exactly how people in the media who are feeding you this tripe want it to be. So let's talk again about another little aspect of this. And, you know, I mentioned that a lot of this is from social media inspiration, why these shootings keep happening. But I did talk at very long length, two different times, about the influence of this bullying society on on social media, posting in general, on people being on their phones, not interacting in person, on people being so concerned with... The appearance of social media, how they're portrayed on social media, on updating it, on reading it, on seeing what other people are doing on social media. And now, once again, we're seeing a brand new study come out with social media being linked to the rise in mental health disorders in teens. And this is just on teens saying, well, young adults born after 1995 are experiencing more mental health issues. But I promise you, I promise you, it is not just teens. Teens aren't the only people that are are on their phones 24-7. I mean for Christ's sake, I'm trying to limit my phone access. You know, myself and I and I try to be pretty decent about it, but everyone when I go out to the bar and I hang out with friends, they're on their phones all the time. So naturally, these things are going to continue to to happen and you're seeing the mental health disorders that come of it where people are depressed all the time. People are getting suicidal because they're not living in the reality that they that surrounds them and they're not looking at a reality that exists online. Not only because of the censorship of content like the evil content that this man just made in Christchurch, not only that, but content that actually would feed them a realistic view of the world that they live in, realistic opinions of people in the world that they live in. Instead, what they are fed is the most liked content, pictures of people walking on the beach, people uh, walking their dogs, people on vacation, people uh, getting a raise that everybody likes. So you're getting fed the content that people see the most, that people like the most. Not only that but they don't show you any content that you might not not agree with. So you're being bombarded with everybody else's happy lives. You're being told that you're right all the time, but you're depressed because you are not living that happy life. And you're seeing the world around you and your values apparently attacked all the time because the pundits tell you that this is the way the world works and this is how it is. So what ends up happening? Well, you get more and more isolated, you get more and more angry, you get more and more depressed, and then you lash out, and you lash out in the most horrific possible way. But morally, you still think you're correct, because you are still doing it for the greater good, because nothing has ever fucking challenged your point of view. And you're so isolated from everybody else in reality, you're not used to talking to people in person that you don't really care about the consequences anymore because you don't have any close personal relationships any longer. Everything that you're doing is online. All your interactions are online. So might as well share something online that's going to get you a lot of attention that plays into your worldview, right? So this study is no surprise. It plays into everything else that I knew was going on in general and ties into this exact you no, know, this is the very truncated version of my own theory on why these things keep happening with social media, but it's just we're going to see a lot more of this before we see a lot less of it. And this is everything to do with media coverage ongoing, because even though social media blanked out this live feed that the guy put on, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have it still be covered by the media. And we're seeing that in spades. Every media outlet covering it, out the ass. Every political pundit covering it, out the ass. Attacking Trump, because you gotta attack Trump. Even though the guy mentions Trump in his uh, in his manifesto, allegedly. But again, who the fuck knows if he's even serious about that, or if he's just trolling? So until we decide we're not gonna cover this shit as we've been covering it before, until we decide that, you know, maybe it's important to interact with people in person, maybe we should de-emphasize social media from a marketing standpoint, maybe we should emphasize, put dialogue across aisles, have our politicians actually be courteous to one another, not have everything come across as a meme or an attack in every possible instance, and actually give each other respect. Again, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And there's no gun laws you can put on the books that are going to do anything to stop it. Because New Zealand already has incredibly strict gun laws. And maybe this guy has shot up this, uh, this mosque, mosques, is right that this will be what caused the Civil War in the United States if the government tries to rein in the ability to gain arms and use the Second Amendment to protect ourselves as they've been trying to do for years and years and years. All right, let's take a quick break. I'm going to come back and talk about this insane ruling about Sandy Hook still on the still on the mass shooting front, and then we'll talk about a couple more items and take it on home.) <music> We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jujitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. All right, so welcome back to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 116. I am, of course, Brian McWilliams, in case you forgot during that commercial. So, as we come back, in Connecticut, a court ruled that the victims of the Sandy Hook shooting, which, of course, a man used a rifle, an AR-15, to shoot down about, I think, 20 children. Now, for years, anti gun rights nuts have been trying to go the tobacco route and establish that victims can sue gun manufacturers for the actions taken with their guns. This, of course, is absolutely insane because once you set that precedent, and in the gun industry, not and not only gun industry, really any industry, when you have something where you say, "Okay, the end users' use of product X," Justifies being able to sue them for millions and millions of dollars. You now, just like we saw with internet, right? We saw, like, again, this ties in with the, act, the attack on censorship, but, you know, we saw the CISPA garbage come out, wherein they tried to protect sex workers by limiting the amount, of, you know, limiting any advertisements to be put on websites. And if you did put an ad on a website, you could be sued by the victims of sex trafficking, which just killed off an entire swath of free speech. It just, it just in mass, it's ridiculous. And not while making the lives of women and men working in the sex industry far more dangerous because the number of murders, the number of rapes, the number of incidents had gone down when people were able to go online and, and do these types of things because they then avoided having to walk the streets. They, they could do searches. They could do their own background checks on people. They could do all sorts of things to make their lives safer in this completely voluntary transaction. So sorry, tangent there. But, I mean, can you imagine this kind of, this this idiocy that this law is trying to permit, wherein if you have a car, you drive the car down the street, you hit somebody with it. Now, the manufacturer of that car, who, by the way, is several steps removed from actually selling the the, the car in question to said consumer, now they're liable for millions of dollars in lawsuits? I mean, imagine we're seeing in London— People get stabbed with knives nonstop. I mean, there is like an epidemic of knife stabbings in London. So we're now to say, okay, well, if you make a butcher knife, you can be liable to be sued because somebody got that butcher knife and you were irresponsible selling them that butcher knife. You should have known in advance that they were going to use that knife, go out, stab some people. And it's not just a concept that is completely and utterly retarded. In this. It, it goes well beyond that because the argument they took in regards to this specific case. And they're going after Bushmaster, which is you know, one of the manufacturers of, of the AR-15 rifle. And they said that this action, this this going after the manufacturer and suing them on behalf of the victims did not violate the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act, which was, uh, or the PLCAA Act, which was back in, I think, 2015, it came into existence. But it essentially gave gun manufacturers protection in case criminals used their firearms to commit crimes pretty rational in my opinion so what they did though is they used this other bizarre kind of law in Connecticut which the target was to use the marketing aspect of the the Bushmaster and the AR15 to go after this company rather than just using act, the the crime committed and so they're using this Connecticut unfair trade practices act and attacking them through that by saying that by virtue of putting the rifle in advertisements along with military personnel and advertising the benefits of said gun, you know, in a rifle magazine, for example, saying this gun can take down multiple multiple targets at once, Uh, you know, it's a a fine rifle for a bop, 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 however many reasons. So the thing saying that that, in fact, is what violated the law and, and allowed them to sue this manufacturer. And they're saying that they are specifically targeting people like the shooter in Sandy Hook by using these type of advertisements, which just is an argument that makes zero sense to me because if you're a gun manufacturer, you're making an ad that's going to be broad, that's going to attract as many people to your product as possible, and those are going to be people from any range of society. I mean, to say that you're targeting this one man who happens to be a, a psychopath, you know, you're targeting these loner psychopaths with an advertisement showing military personnel and saying that you can take down multiple targets. Now, again, they're not specifying targets. They're not saying multiple people. They're definitely not saying, hey, we lined up a bunch of kids in the crowd here. Like, there's no, there's no children running around in a playground in the back of this military, uh, this military group as they're marching through. They're not showing them, you know, it's like not Ferris Bueller's day off going on in the background where they're mowing down high school kids. It's not an Adam Sandler, you know, Billy Madison Clip that they've inserted military men in you're popping shots off of children. Now, you've got to advertise it for a gun, which is a lethal weapon. And it doesn't have to be lethal just towards people. You can use it for hunting. You can use it for rodent extermination. You can just use it for personal protection. But either way, advertising that it can take down multiple targets and that military members use it, soldiers use it, doesn't mean that it automatically should qualify as some sort of misleading marketing or targeted marketing towards psychopaths. But that is what the Supreme Court has argued. Some fucking how. And they ruled four to three. Of course, you know, I, I have no doubt in my mind that this fell completely along political alignments, not in any way has anything to do with actual law. But four to three rules, and now we'll have to see where it goes. I mean, I would strongly suspect that they're going to try to kick this up to the Supreme Court because... If you will, if you allow this kind of shit, number one, I don't even know how you would possibly market guns anymore than just having a gun sitting on a table that says gun. Otherwise, I mean, you, t- you take any ability to market the gun or the, or the abilities the gun has, any of the benefits the gun has, you take all of that away. So you're essentially saying gun manufacturers can't advertise anymore. Should you allow this lawsuit? But not only that, you're going to have virtually every single gun manufacturer be immediately sued for millions of dollars immediately. Because as I said, every single gun ad has this type of imagery, this type of language, because again, they're appealing to a wide swath of people. Some of the people that read guns and ammo, I'm sure are people that buy military grade equipment. You know, they're not just, they're not sending them just direct mail, spam emails all day long to these Pentagon purchases. They advertise and everything else. They go to trade shows, they've got banners, they've got billboards, they've got all the same shit that any other giant industry has. So naturally, they're going to have advertisements in every magazine out there that people who own or buy guns are going to read. I mean, Christ, I work in public relations. When I'm going after somebody, you know, if I'm doing a a random, random widget project out there, I don't just go after a tiny, tiny segment. No, you got to try to say, okay, where are these people going to be reading it? How broad of a spectrum do you want to have when you're trying to place an advertisement? Who are the media outlets that might be interested in this? And it is a lot. Because you can't just say there's one way to reach one type of person and this is it, because that's not the way that people operate. And in fact, if it were that way, people would simply tune it out and you'd never reach them as an advertiser or marketer. People would simply just avoid that conduit because they know it would just be all the one same thing. But it doesn't end there. It's not, you know, they made this argument that by virtue of selling a semi-automatic rifle, which they, they categorize as a military-grade weapon, which, of course, anything, number one, is a military-grade weapon. Military uses firearms going down to bayonets, for fuck's sake, all the way up to automatic rifles. I think maybe a BB gun wouldn't be considered military-grade, but virtually any other weapon that has any sort of lethality to it is considered military-grade. But what these people, of course, mean is that civilians shouldn't be able to get these type of guns. And this is where this fucking bullshit ruling gets very political. So this this lawyer argues that the semiotic rifle used in the case is a military-grade weapon. So marketing and selling it to the entire population of civilians is a negligent, quote-unquote, entrusting of the gun to anyone who buys it and uses it outside of its proper context. Because I guess the PLCAA, it has some sort of language within it. That was the one that's protecting these gun manufacturers. has some sort of limitations where it's got language in it about quote-unquote, entrusting guns to people that should not be entrusted with them. I guess, for example, directly selling to somebody that happens to be an alcoholic and at the current time is standing on top of the uh, Empire State Building yelling that he's going to murder people. I don't know. I don't know exactly what those qualifications would be. But this Connecticut Supreme Court somehow thinks that they've entrusted a gun to a civilian, and by virtue of that, they have now opened themselves up to legal action. I mean, it just—it boggles my mind that four justices can think that this is somehow an argument that's going to stand up. Because if it goes to the Supreme Court, there's zero chance. Now, there was one more thing that they said as well—that they violated a state statute for the sale of marketing to the firearm, and where this is where that that uh, Connecticut Unfair Trade Practices Act becomes "quote unquote" applicable because it prohibits unfair or deceptive acts or practices in the conduct of any trade or commerce. And they say that they marketed and promoted their weapons for illegal criminal purposes and committed deceptive acts. They And the, the way that they say that they did this was that they promoted the use of the XM-15 for offensive, assaultive purposes, specifically for waging war and killing human beings and not solely for self-defense or hunting target practice, etc. Because they advertise in the advertisement, it said the weapon allowed a single individual to force his multiple opponents to bow down. Now, again, as I said earlier, multiple opponents does not mean fucking humans. That could mean anything. That could mean you're out, it could mean target practice. You're out in there, your opponent can be a bear. I mean, they're not always hunting the deadliest game of other people, which, you know. I'm not saying I would be the deadliest game were I captured, were I in the woods and I had the ability to defend myself a couple hours head start, guaranteed winner. Would come out ahead, stabbing people in the necks with sticks, put it in the bank. But to say that that one phrase is enough to justify it just shows you how despicably political all of these courts have become throughout America. There is no more, you know, we, like when we see people like Justice uh, Gorsuch when he got to the Supreme Court, I was overjoyed because the man does seem like a true const- constitutionalist. He seems like he tries to interpret the law as intended in every circumstance. And the three descending judges, that's exactly what they said. This is not the intent of, the, of any of these laws. And, and to open to it up opens all marketing up. It literally would change the entire playing field for gun rights in this country because you would simply have manufacturers. That's where you want to know the, the danger. This is, of course, these people's end goal is... By saying, okay, now you can't sell, you can't market to civilians because you're marketing a weapon of death and you're saying it, with this vague language that you're supposed to go out and kill people, like as if that's their fucking specific language that they're trying to do. Hey, guys, go out and kill some people with this just randomly. We're encouraging you to do it. I'm sure that got right through the marketing meeting. Nobody, none of the lawyers going up took any umbrance with that. I mean, it's fucking vague for a reason. But not to these fucking local judges in Connecticut. But this is going to limit, I mean, this literally, the lawsuits that will come in will say, okay, look, it. You know, okay. now we will only sell these weapons to the military. So not only will the lefties get a little victory on their, their side, not only will gun manufacturers, some of them be sued out of existence, but now the things that we're worried about, the ability to get military-grade weapons, because I'm sorry, you should be able to get military-grade weapons to defend yourself against the military, for one, or any other foreign invader, or, or domestic invader, anybody. I don't give a shit. You should be able to have that weapon to defend yourself. And once we have the government have a pure monopoly on every killing weapon that can fire fire more rounds than three a second, that can, uh, they can stomp over you, that can do whatever the fuck they want to do, now you've got a real problem. And while there's still enough guns out there currently to make sure that the government keeps itself in check, well, who's to say that 20 years from now, when all those guns start rusting out, they stop working properly, the parts aren't available to fix them up because civilians can't get any replacements for them. Well, now we might live in a different world. We're already seeing the government become more authoritative every single day. We're already seeing left and right unite together to become more authoritative. So, yeah, this this uh, this worries me quite a bit. I, I don't think it'll stand up. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. But we'll see, guys. We shall see. Oh, one more thing, too. I got to play this just in. This is a very <laughs> mass shooting heavy episode, but you got to listen to Andrew Yang, which, you know, some people like Andrew Yang. Uh, he is a guy that's running for the Democratic Party. He is uh, the guy that advocates for UBI. You might have heard about by taxing uh, tech, is I think his plan to cover the massive costs. And of course the UBI would just be added on top of everything else, which is why I can't support it. But He had this to say when he was doing a a recent speech. And who is going to be the boogeyman of the next 10 to 20 years? Who's going to be the great rival to the United States in the eyes of American society? China, that's right. And so what do you think the attitude is going to be over time for the shrinking, insecure white majority that's losing their jobs for, let's say, Chinese Americans or Asian Americans? I, I don't I'm like I personally I said to a group at Harvard, I think we're one generation away from falling into the same camps as the Jews who were attacked in the synagogue in Pittsburgh like uh, just a couple of months ago. It's like we're probably one generation away from Americans shooting up a bunch of Asians saying like, you know, damn the Chinese because th- there's a giant Cold War or even more with China. That is the great danger that I fear that my children are going to grow up in. OK, number one, this is completely fucking idiotic. Just In general, an idiotic thing to say. and makes me wonder if Andrew Yang is, like, desperately grasping at identity politics straws because he knows that Asians are not considered a uh, a minority group that people feel sorry for. So he's like, how am I going to drum up some sympathy? I need more pity or else I'm never going to be able to compete with Kamala Harris and Cory Booker out there. I mean, hell, they're at least half black, each of them. Hmm, what's in my bag of tricks? So he pulls out this fucking nonsense about white men shooting up Chinese people. What are they going to, where are we going to go shoot up Chinese restaurants? That's what we're doing. It's not like, <laughs> what we uh, maybe you could say even Koreans, I mean, they was a big churches they collected, but he's not talking about Koreans, right? He's just talking about Chinese and his reasoning behind it that China is a glowing superpower and that China is going to be blamed for taking away jobs is also utter nonsense, especially when it comes to the people in this country. Number one, Americans love Chinese people in this country. I haven't heard anybody. I don't think ever in my fucking life, not in any context, not in any conversation, not anywhere slander Chinese people. It's like they're so far removed from us. They you know, we love their Chinese food, we enjoy the uh, the collaborations in the cinema. It's like give me a break. So, why does he think that we would suddenly, in the next, what does he say, 10 years or something like that, in the next 10 years, turn on all the Chinese because we've just run out of minorities to hate? I guess Andrew presumes that everything in regards to the uh, the black-white issues of race that people seem to, to make up and pretend exist are going to be solved. He feels that the issues with Muslims are going to be solved. I guess there's no, not going to be any more ISIS anymore. We're going to be out of Iraq, out of Afghanistan. And look, hey, I hope that's true. I pray to God That his, and I'm presuming a lot here by thinking that that's his rationale. I hope he's right. I hope that we have no more ill will in any way in anyone in this country towards any Muslim religion, towards anybody that's got, you know, from the Middle East, from the whole area. That would be lovely because that means that all the troops are home. That means we finally, after 75 years, stop fucking around in the Middle East. Glorious, man. I would love that. I doubt that it's going to be, I doubt that's going to be the case. But why would we then hate the Chinese? Well, there can only one reason if he's going the way he's going, and that's because of the government, right? Because the government is the thing that's going to be causing another cold war with China. The government involvement in regards to working with crony capitalists, in regards to propping up uh, minimum wage laws, in regards to making more union friendly uh, legal legalizations. Although we've seen some of those that that pulled back recently, which is great. Um, tangent just you know we have seen a lot of that being pulled back in regards to people being forced into unions we're seeing a lot more right-to-work laws come out where you cannot be forced to join a union anymore which is awesome but all of this and what he's presuming is going to happen with this this insane identity politics about mass shootings of chinese people is presumed that the government will cause it yet I would be shocked if Andrew Yang wasn't for protecting union jobs, wasn't for raising the minimum wage. I mean, Christ, he's pr- proposing a new UBI. That's going to cause a cost a, quite a lot of money, isn't it? So how are we going to pay for it? Because the tech jobs that you're talking about, drawing from, well, those are going to continue to go up. But unfortunately, middle America, all that big swath of people that you're talking about, that would be what you consider white people that are going to shoot up the Chinese population. Well, those people are going to get fucked over because you keep emphasizing tech jobs. You keep getting rid of all of the, uh, the production and manufacturing jobs because you keep forcing minimum wage of everybody's fucking ass. Not only that, but now you've got people like Elizabeth Warren. And I don't know what Andrew Yang's statements are on, uh, on the Electoral College. But you got Elizabeth Warren coming into play. And this is another story. I'm Perfect segue, huh? But she wants to get rid of the Electoral College. Because she says that every vote counts, right? That's really what she's concerned about. Never mind that she's just on it because she knows that people pissed off Hillary lost. That was their rallying cry, right? We need to get rid of the Electoral College because, well, well, she got more popular votes. Okay, well, sorry, jackasses. The Electoral College is actually there to prevent the kind of domination, the kind of authoritarian bullshit that you love to pull on people. Because not everybody lives the same way in this country. Not everybody wants to live the way that elitists in the cities live and think of as a block. And, you know, we're talking about flyover country. We're talking about the uh, the whiteys that Andrew Yang's afraid of. Well, those are the people that if you try to push through eliminating the electoral college, those are the people that then actually may take action. And again, no, that's on you, man. That's not on them. That's on you being a uh, essentially creating a purely democratic society, right? Quote, unquote, democratic society, which now will be purely ruled by majorities, in which case you have the most populated city centers dictating every sort of legislation for the rest of the country. I don't think that's going to go over well for people that don't live in those city centers. We're already seeing any time a minimum wage law is passed anywhere in this country. That people in lower-skilled jobs, people that are lower-wage jobs, they get priced out, right? Minority groups get priced out. Even, you know, white people also get get priced out. Anybody that doesn't have a higher level because they replace them with robots, they replace them with cheaper labor, and they cut people's hours. And when you have this majority in place because you've eliminated the electoral college, you know, one man, one vote. We're going to make sure that the city centers rule it all. Well, they're just going to pass nationwide legislation calling for minimum wage laws at $15. You're going to destroy an entire economy. You're going to bankrupt all of these businesses that can't afford to pay that because not everywhere has the same standard of living. $15 in Seattle might be a living wage, but meanwhile, $15 in Poughkeepsie, Illinois. Is it Poughkeepsie in Illinois? I don't fucking know. Whatever. In Poughkeepsie. Well, that's quite a different, different, different animal. Horse of a different color. That $15 can buy you lunch, can buy you dinner, can take your wife out to a movie, you put the kids in summer school. Shit's not the same. So Andrew Yang can keep going down this diversity, uh, identity, politics, fear-mongering bullshit train, right? He can keep going down that track. But meanwhile, I just want everybody to acknowledge that the biggest fears that exist in his mind are all created and caused by actions taken by himself, his party, and the government at large. If these things come to pass, he will have no one to blame but himself. Ah, uh, okay. Let's talk about one more thing and then we'll wrap it up. And that is that <laughs> some cities are talking about curbing. Traffic, right? Like curbing traffic here in LA is uh, something they've been working on constantly. They're always under construction. Traffic never gets any better. They're putting in all these rail lines. Hardly anybody takes them. None of them connect to each other. And in certain instances, like where I used to live, right by Venice, California, you've got your local city councilman, Mike Bonin, who I think is still Mark's city councilman. This jackass had something that he created along with uh, Mayor uh, Garcetti. And he said, okay, what we're going to do We're going to have a quote-unquote lane diet, wherein we take away road lanes from people. uh, We're going to create these extra weird parking spaces. That way, it'll be so fucking congested, nobody will want to drive on them anymore. And people will say, okay, I'll take public transport. Or I'll ride my bike, because they took away these lanes to put in extra-wide, extra-safe bike lanes. Which, by the way, weren't extra-safe, because what ended up happening was that people now, because of this weird parking scenario, would be riding down the bike lanes, cars couldn't fucking see them, and they'd still turn and hit these bikers. Accidents actually went up. Traffic accidents and biking accidents went up. Wow, unintended consequences from government action. What a shock! Anyway, now, to curb traffic these different cities, and I think Seattle's already doing it. There's a couple other ones. New York City has got a proposal in there. The uh, Tri-State Transportation Campaign... That's a non-profit agency uh, advocacy group is trying to get them to adopt this. But it basically is a platform wherein they charge you more either to use a lane anytime, which is what they've already started doing here in LA. For example, my wife is on the way home from work right now and traffic's so awful that she said, okay, it's worth it to me to pay to have access to an extra lane they created, which by the way, hardly anybody ever uses because it's very expensive. So it's essentially going after people that are elite already and continuing to mire the population of Los Angeles that's the working everyday class they still get mired in traffic just in FYI so another another perk for people who can afford it and yes my wife can afford it so good for us but now they want to take it a step further and they want to charge people to use the freeway, at certain times. So if you're on the road and it happens to be rush hour, now you have to pay for the privilege of sitting your ass in traffic on that road. And they say that, well, if we eliminate 5% of the cars from the road, it'll be much better for everybody. Well, I guess that would be true. But you're also making sure that people that can't afford to pay these prices are gonna be home later from work. They're not gonna see their families. They're gonna get more depressed. They're gonna get more angry. Maybe we'll get a mass shooter out of it. I mean, my sister, I think I mentioned my sister, who has been a New York gal her whole life, she's now done with New York. And one of the reasons she told me, not just the general taxes there, but she's done with New York because every road, every bridge is now a toll road. She said, you know, it used to cost her six bucks to go into the city and whatever. It's like, I can't afford $20 every day from all these tolls going forward, going back. I don't know how these people can. I mean, hey, I guess that's why they're forcing minimum lodgeways in, but look at this. It's like the, a circular environment they've got going here, wherein the government raises your wages so that they can then take that wages back in the form of taxes and tolls. What a system they've got in New York. But anyway, so they're looking to push this through. And you got people, I love this, this tri-state transportation campaign asshole. He's like, I should pay for my choice. This guy, well, okay, thanks, Jesus. You're going to go and pay for your choice? What are you, fucking dying for our sins in your car? You got the crucifix mobile out there? Jackass. But anyway, apparently Singapore had this thing started in 1975. And Singapore is a tiny city that is very congested. And also, by the way, only like the, the richest of rich people live there. And those people, even in service industries, because it's all service industries and the ultra rich, they get paid an obscene amount of money. So maybe Singapore can afford to do it. But they adopted in Stockholm, someplace in London, Milan, and they used tolls to reject, reduce traffic congestion. So, again, they call it a very sensible policy. What I call it, as I stated earlier, is another way to siphon more money off the populace because it's like they, they're they saying, they're, OK, we're going to use this to to, you know, help infrastructure spending we're going to put it towards public uh, transportation policies and we're going to rebuild the roads and we're going to make the roads better and nicer i've never seen that actually come to fruition in my in my entire life uh these funds always get misappropriated they always go into some slush fund that pays off the the unions or they pay off benefits for teachers or anything else never goes back into the proper projects number two I mean, we just killed off a plan to have a train, which already wasted billions of dollars, a train going from L.A. to San Francisco. So in this city where they're considering doing this, we've already wasted money on these these pie in the sky transportation products, which nobody really uses. Everybody still drives in their car in L.A. because L.A. is not a walkable city. So what ends up happening is you get off on a train station. Right. And it takes you to a stop. and There's not many stops. Right. You get off and now you got to walk. 20, 30 minutes to get where you're going? Sounds great. Or you can jump on a bus and that takes you, because there's still a lot of traffic, 20 or 30 minutes. Wonderful. So everybody just drives their car regardless. And until they put back in a fully functioning subway system or redo the whole trolley system, which they ripped out due to cronyism back in 1920 or something like that, to put in all the lovely freeways we enjoy today, until that happens, which it never will, because they stopped Eli Musk from, from putting in his private transportation system. FYI, thanks LA. Well, shit's just gonna be shit. And providing an whole other revenue-generating taxation system to try to pretend that people are gonna somehow benefit from it when all it does is provide people who already have the fanciest cars, that already have all the money in the world to get home a little bit faster than your average person who's gonna have to wait at work now to avoid getting taxed extra Which essentially, if we're we're thinking about it in this manner, if time is money and these people are getting paid, you know, whatever, it's going to be $15 an hour now. Well, now their wage is going down because effectively, by virtue of having to stay at work, they're probably not going to get overtime anymore because who's going to pay overtime when you're working $50 an hour. Now, their wages are dropping by virtue of having to sit at work an extra hour or two hours or three hours or do whatever they're going to do to wait for the fucking prime traffic time to go down enough to afford to drive home. This is what these people want to do. This is how government thinks. Absolutely insane. All right, that's it. I'm tired. I'm still hungover. i going to end this episode. As I said before, my old theory holds true. You're hungover as you get older. Remember this, people, because it is absolutely accurate. However old you are, and I am 39, you divide that by 10, That is how many days you will be hungover. So from my Sunday revelry, which began at 6 in the morning, and uh, I give Mark credit, he was up with me, as always, It is tradition. Usually Rico is also there, but this year he is out uh, in Hong Kong with his paramour. And uh, and by the way, thanks to Jason Stapleton for giving me a nice shout-out on his show. Yeah, my buddy over there saw... (laughs) My buddies Jason saw my post at 6 a.m. So that's when we started drinking. But anyway, by virtue of my hangover math, I will be hungover for 3.9 days. And uh ain't hit that mark yet, people. So hopefully this episode made full sense. It was definitely rambly. It was definitely rockabilly, Johnny Adams style, <laughs> screaming in the microphone with a pompadour haircut. But uh, hopefully the point came through in the end. Anyway, that's going to do it for the show, guys. I want to remind you, always listen to Mark. He had Justin Amash on this past Monday. Amazing get for us and a uh, good interview with Justin. He said he would love to come back on. So that is very exciting for us and a uh, great libertarian get for our side. Also, and of course, that's every Monday. Uh, listen to John Odermatt on Filony Fridays. He has been doing amazing work and just a fascinating, fascinating show looking at the injustices within the criminal justice system. So make sure to check him out. And uh, and don't forget, give us an iTunes review, guys. Share the show, whatever you can. Give us a five-star review. Uh, if you see anybody posting what libertarian podcast you like, go and tell them the Lions of Liberty. That's where it's at. All right, guys, that'll wrap for me. I got to go eat some shrimp fried rice from a bag and go to sleep. Probably be in bed by eight o'clock. Yeah, Alright, peace out from me, Brian McWilliams from Lions of Liberty. Always stay plugged in to liberty.